Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I'm, of course, your host, John Campion, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, it's Friday. Congratulations for making it through to the end of another week. May you guys have a fabulous weekend filled with relaxation and enjoyment ahead of you, resting you up and prepping you for another week ahead of Triumph and Victory, of course. And speaking of Triumph and Victory, he is the triumphant one himself, the one Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, I'm feeling incredibly triumphant today. We got a Ridley Scott movie opening in the theaters. And uh, what's not to love? Dune opens next week. Things are good in the uh, old box office. So excited for Dune. I, I, I went to go see The Last Duel last night. Um, I didn't love it. It's a really great story. It's a great story with great performances. But the the way they chose to tell the story, I talk about a little bit in my straight out of the theater review video I put up last night, kind of slows the film down. So I still enjoy it. It's still good. Um, I just think I would have enjoyed a lot more if they just told it a little bit differently to make it felt like it had better flow. But that is what it also saw Halloween kills last night. Did not like it anywhere near as I liked the last one. Because mm. you know me, I love the last one. I thought the last one was great. This one was just weird. Now, still some pretty fun kills. Like, there's some good Michael moments in it, some fun kills. But they make some really weird decisions. Anyway, I also put up a straight out of the theater review of that last night. But anyway, guys, how are you guys doing today? We're glad to have you here and that you chose to make this show a part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go. We break it into two parts. The first half of the show. We take some predetermined topics. And then in the second half of the show, we take your live comments or questions. Now, if you want to fire in a live comment or question to be read on this show or an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video. Go down there and click on it. Or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's, of course, appropriate for the show. And, of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. And speaking of support, uh, Iggy Riaz sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iggy. Appreciate that very much, man. So it's good to have you guys here. And one little other bit of housekeeping. Don't forget, guys, if you need your daily fix of the John Campion Show, but you can't be in front of a YouTube channel, no problem. We've got an audio-only version of the show called the John Campia Show Podcast. It's available on any of your favorite podcasting apps of choice. Just go on over to your favorite podcasting app and search for the John Campia Show. Subscribe to the podcast today so it'll be there when you need it. And a big thank you to all you guys who have already subscribed to our podcast. Uh, thank you very much for that. All right, guys. With all that down... Let's dive into a couple of off-the-tops here before we get into our main topics. And our first off-the-top is this. Rob, uh, you've known for a while that I am very, let's say, pessimistic about <laughs> Indiana Jones 5. No. <laughs> Even when they started shooting, and I'm like, I'll believe it when it comes out. Even like, and then, you know, the COVID shuts down, said, I'll believe when it comes out. Then Harrison Ford gets injured. I'll believe it when it comes out. Hell, even some set photos of some Nazis came out. And I said, I'll believe it when it comes out. I remain very, very skeptical about this movie. But listen, some new images from the set of Indiana Jones 5 have now come out. And not only are they giving us some interesting insight and once again proving that, yes, John, the movie really is getting made. And I'm still like, I'll believe it when I see it. But 
not only is it proving this movie's actually getting made, it brings up an interesting proposition that there might be actual time travel involved in this movie. Now, of course, you remember some set photos came out a little while ago and we saw a Nazi train with some Nazis. Well, James Mangold, the director of this film, said this movie takes place in the 60s. There weren't any Nazis in the 60s, at least not organized with their own train sets. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So there's that. And now these images came out from the Daily Mail that show us a couple things. First of all, they show us Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You know, it looks like she's helping Indy out. uh, And so we get pictures of them on set. Now, of course, uh, I told everybody that uh, turns out she's going to be Marcus's granddaughter unless my information was mistaken, but you guys remember I told you that I I found out that she's actually playing Marcus's granddaughter. Whether that's true or not, we won't know until the movie comes out, but that's what I was told, and I believe the the person that told me and that source is correct. But what's really interesting is not only do you get a couple of these pictures of her and Indy, we also get a bunch of pictures of Roman soldiers. It's like Roman soldiers behind a wall, uh, Roman soldiers that looks like they're rowing a boat, all this kind of stuff. Now, juxtaposing all this, Rob, against the other photos that came out with Nazis and trains, there has been some whispers going around that the crux of this movie, there's going to be time travel, that this is going to be a time travel movie. And certainly when you see pictures of Nazis on the set and then you see pictures of Roman soldiers on the set, sure, that seems like it could back that up. I would say, and and I'm not saying it's not going to be time travel. It's like, hey, man, listen, if you're going to have Nazis and Roman soldiers, time travel is a possibility. Time travel is a possibility. But I want to suggest two things that may suggest it's not time travel. Um, One is that seems a little out of character, even for an Indiana Jones film. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, he can find an alien. Yes, he can find the Ark of the Covenant. But traveling through time seems like a little outside of it. Like Dr. Jones and Dr. Brown are going to zip through time to find Bill and Ted and, you know, the Enterprise gathering up whales and all this guy. It just seems out of character. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like it fits for an Indiana Jones film. But the second thing is because there is another very valid possibility, which is flashbacks. You know, let's say like, like the first Indiana Jones film where the Ark of the Covenant was your main MacGuffin. Let's say there's some artifact that is the MacGuffin of this new one. Well, maybe these scenes are all just tracing the, the, the journey through history of this MacGuffin as the Romans try to possess it. Then the Nazis try to possess it. I mean, again, so it could be time travel. We could be seeing Indiana Jones time traveling. And if he is, it seems silly, but it's in the hands of a director like James Mangold. And I trust James Mangold. He's earned our trust. But I still think there's a possibility it may just be flashbacks. Rob, you see these images. Uh, what What are your thoughts? Is it time travel? Is it flashbacks? Is it something else? What's your thought process in this right now? I think it's absolutely time travel, and I'll tell you why. Because if you go by, like Lucas talked about how there are aliens in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was set in the 50s when we had a lot of alien invasion movies that were big. Um, Of course, biblical films were big, hence the Ark of the Covenant. In the 60s, there were a lot of time travel movies that came out. Um, 
the the time machine based on H.G. Wells' time travel, things like the time barrier and Chris Marker's La Jetée, which became the basis for 12 Monkeys. And then if you really want to think about it, uh, uh, there wasn't a machine and it was because of physics, but Planet of the Apes might be the ultimate time travel ending. But um, uh, it makes sense to me because if you think about it, if there's artifacts in this film and they go to Stonehenge, like has been reported, I think the idea that they open a portal in time that the Nazis are going to try and use some machine. And it's like a zero point. I forget what it's called, but there's something they were actually trying to build in real life that could be the reason that they're, they're trying to go back in time. The Nazis are to make sure the, the third Reich was never defeated or whatever. I could totally see that because to me, while it seems weird to us, we had aliens in the last one, and we had the power of God destroy the Nazis in, the, in Raiders. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if time travel is the MacGuffin. If is Indiana Jones going to travel through time? I don't know, <laughs> but I think it, it, to me, I believe that that's something they could pick because what else could it be? You know, you've already he's already had the power of God and aliens, so why not time travel? You know, using some ancient power conjured up in Stonehenge. I yeah, I mean, listen, I like I said, I completely acknowledge that I think this the time travel aspect is a possibility. I but I'm I'm not as certain about it as you. Like I still think there's a very real possibility this is flashback sequences. Sure. Because I mean, like if we saw if in any of those pictures, if we saw Indy in a Roman soldier costume. Then I'd go, well, okay, well, there's no doubt at this point. Now now it's clearly time, but we didn't see that yet. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Question is for you guys. What do you think of these images? Do you think the kind of the main plot crux of Indiana Jones 5 could be Bill and Ted and their excellent Indiana Jones adventure? Like, do you think he could be traveling through time? Or do you think maybe now nah, there's another explanation? It's flashbacks or maybe something else. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down to the comment section below and leave us your thoughts okay guys with that down let's do one more off the top and that is this uh rob you know that hbo max is really doubling down on all the dc stuff that they yes. have coming right <laughs> so we've heard a lot of stuff and one of the things that's really gotten a lot of attention is the batgirl and they just recently went out and got the, uh, the one of the young girls, Leslie, from In the Heights. I thought she was fantastic in In the Heights. So they recently cast her to be the new Batgirl in the Batgirl movie. Now, she was asked not long ago if, if Batman was going to be in the movie. And Leslie Grace said, no, Batman's not in this movie. He's off doing other things. However... Maybe she didn't read the script, or maybe they changed their minds, or maybe she was just trying to do a little bit of misdirect, because according to the directors of the upcoming live-action Batgirl film, Batman is going to be in it. Um, and this comes to us from the guys over at Joe Blow, and they were saying the, the thing, while chatting with something... Uh, Arby and Fahal danced around, revealing too much about the world's greatest detective fighting crime alongside Barbara Gordon in the new film. Now you're asking too much, uh, Arby said. I can say that it's really Batman, Batman. But who, we can't say. So basically, what they're acknowledging right now is that Batman is going to be in it. Now, by saying that, 
a lot of people are making an assumption, understandably so, that it's going to be Ben Affleck's Batman. Because we've already found out that Commissioner Gordon is not going to be played uh, by who who does the uh, Jeffrey Wright Jeffrey is Wright. not going to be played by Jeffrey Wright, who is the Commissioner Gordon in Robert Pattinson's Batman, but rather he's going to be played by J.K. Simmons, who's of course the Commissioner Gordon in the mainline DCEU, and in that timeline, Ben Affleck is Batman, but it may not be Batman. They're saying, look, we're not going to say which Batman it is or who it is. So while a lot of us will assume it may be Ben Affleck for obvious reasons, there's a lot of reasons to believe maybe it'll be somebody else. Number one, it sounded like Bat- like Ben Affleck was recently talking about his experience, Rob, uh, doing The Flash, which I think he only shot for a day or two. But he was talking about, yeah, it was really good to put it on for one last time and blah, blah. So it sounds like he is, you know, he just kind of came in to get a nice little goodbye to the character. But I mean, it doesn't sound like he's coming back, but maybe he will. But also the fact that they're playing a coy like this, because I like, we can't say who it is. Like, I don't know, maybe it's Christian Bale. I highly doubt it's Christian Bale. But, you know, something along those lines. So, Rob, you hear that they are indeed going to have Batman, Batman, as they put it, in this Batgirl movie. What do you think about that? And who do you think is it going to be? Is it going to be Affleck? Is it going to be Robert Pattinson? Is it going to be one of the other guys? Is it going to be somebody completely new? Is it going to be a play on words? What do you think about this? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny not knowing how they're going to go with the Robert Pattinson Batman. I don't know, but I would I would lean toward believing it would be him because he's the new Batman that they're probably going to have a trilogy of Batman movies with. But if it's going to, if that Batman film is going to be self-contained like the, um, like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, if they went with Batman and Batman's going to be in it, there's a Batgirl film. I would not be surprised, John, if it's Ben Affleck, because in a way that continues the Snyderverse films and it becomes, there's continuity with Wonder Woman and Aquaman and everything else. So uh, it would be a nice nod the same way that Affleck was in Suicide Squad. And I think from what I've read, you know, Ben Affleck came out and said he's had a good time making the Flash movie. So if someone came to him and said, hey man, could you uh, kick it with Batgirl for a few days? I could see him going, why not? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Now, you're mentioning The Flash, so let's bring up another possibility. What if it's Michael Keaton? I mean, could it be Michael Keaton? I mean, because he's playing, he's playing a much more predominant role in The Flash than, say, Ben Affleck did. And if they're going to be resetting some things with Flashpoint, and obviously we're now just, we're pure speculation. Like, rainbows out of our asses, pure speculation right now. Absolutely. But, I mean, could Michael Keaton be a viable option to be that Batman Batman? What do you think? Well, since we're being friendship is magic in terms of our speculation, (laughs) um, why not? I mean, an older Batman, and they they might change the storyline where if it's Barbara Gordon, who's Batgirl, she, like, Batman watched her grow up. And and they could skew it, you know, she's younger, depending on how they're going to play it. So I could see that. I mean, either way, whether it's Ben Affleck or whether it's um, Michael Keaton, I think that's both of those are a winning formula, whereas... If you have Batgirl in the Matt Reeves Batman universe, I think that's a bit 
too soon. I, I it just doesn't seem like that would be the best fit because Batman seems to be younger, and I don't think that they would want to commingle those characters quite yet. Well, yeah, but, but and I, also I with J.K. Simmons being the Commissioner Gordon in this, and we know Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon in Robert Pattinson's Batman, that seems like that can't fit. It seems no. like they couldn't put those together. No, no. And I, I would say that if, is it J.K. Simmons? Have we, is that confirmed? I, I believe they confirmed that, yeah. For the Batgirl movie? Yes. Well, so then it's got to be Ben Affleck, doesn't it? Or it could be Michael Keaton. I mean, Michael Keaton or, is now in Ezra Miller's Flash, or it could be something could else be. entirely. I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting question. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? The directors are now saying, even though the star of the movie said before Batman's not going to be in it, the director's now saying he is. So who do you think is it going to be? Maybe there's something we're not considering, and it very well could be Robert Pattinson's Batman. Maybe it could be Christian Bale, although that is completely almost impossible. Uh, maybe it's Michael Keaton. Maybe it's Ben Affleck. What do you think about it? Who's going to be this Batman? Whatever do you guys think, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's get into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the show? Well, it's really simple. You guys come up with our main topics. See, whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you feel we should definitely cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, Rob, what is our first main topic today? Well, ominously, Raymond Reddington himself apparently has written into us, John. Hot off the presses and the interwebs, Michael Pena will be joining the cast in season four of the Amazon show Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan alongside John Krasinski. The character is being kept under wraps, but I'm pumped up for this development. What are your thoughts? John, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm a huge Tom Clancy fan. I read all the Jack Ryan novels. I really dig this show. Um, season two was not as good as season one and sort of played some beats that we saw in Clear and Present Danger, but I think John Krasinski's fantastic. He's much more of a action hero. as uh, other than He's different than the Jack Ryans in the movies, but I think he's great. I really love the show. It's really well produced. Uh, this come to us deadline says um, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan starring John Krasinski has been renewed for a fourth season ahead of the series season three premiere on Prime Video. Additionally, Michael Pena is set to join the season four cast in an undisclosed role. Amazon has revealed production recently wrapped on season three and a premiere date will be announced later. Season three find, finds, finds Jack Ryan Krasinski on the run and in a race against time. Jack is wrongly implicated in the larger conspiracy and suddenly finds himself a fugitive out in the cold. By the way, that plot sounds dope. I can't wait. Now wanted by both the CIA and an international rogue faction that he has uncovered, Jack is forced underground. Crisscrossing Europe trying to stay alive and prevent a massive global conflict. Dude, that sounds exactly like how I want my Jack Ryan. I'll bet you that Michael Pena's character is probably introduced in season three at some point. Um, and then they made him a regular, I would assume. Um, because that's why they can announce him as the cast, because 
he's probably in at least maybe the end of season three. Well, what do you think? Did you do you watch the show and and do you dig it? What's a, what, what do you think? Yeah, I've watched both seasons of Jack Ryan that are out right now. I really like the first season. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. It's definitely a different take on Jack Ryan than the one we got in either the Alec Baldwin or the Ben Affleck or the Harrison Ford iterations of the character that we've or seen Chris before. Or Chris Pine, yeah, for that matter. Um, it's a little bit of a different take, but I like it. I like yeah, it too. a lot. And part of that is just the infinite likability, of course, of John Krasinski himself. Like, John Krasinski is just such an infinitely likable character and an infinitely likable guy that yeah. he comes across away. But see, John Krasinski is also a big dude. So he carries all those tools of all the charm and charisma on screen, but you can buy him as a legit badass at the same time. He is a big physical dude. And we don't often think of him that way because he's Jim. He's Jim for heaven's sakes. We never think of Jim in right. that way, but and Jack Ryan's supposed to be a Marine. Yeah. And, you and, know? and they really, and believe him. they accent that point in in this show where they don't really accent it nearly as much in in the other iterations i am like you though i didn't love the second season i didn't mind it like i got all the way through it's not like i hated it i i didn't but i thought it was a a a significant step down from the first let's just say that so I, i watched it i got through it's like okay i still like the show but nowhere near as good as the first so i'm really happy to hear they've already greenlit a fourth now as far as michael pena goes Michael Pena, right now, when a lot of people think of Michael Pena, and I get it, I understand, they think of Luis from Ant-Man. I get it, because he's awesome as that. He's like one of my favorite guys in the movie world right now as that. But people will forget Michael Pena, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, there was the Tom and Jerry fiasco, but let's just forget about that. Michael Pena is a hell of an actor. He is a hell of an actor. You go through his film repertoire. This dude has done some great stuff. And the one that to me really stands out the most is actually end of watch. Did you ever see him say that? dude? Oh man. He's so good in that. He's so good in that movie. I mean, he's good in in the Martian too. I really liked him in the Martian. Oh, though with the whole ensemble and the ship, he's, he's got a great way of not just being great on screen himself, no matter what he's in, he will find a way to create great chemistry with every other character he's with. And he's did that in Ant-Man. He did that in the Martian. He did that in end of watch. He did that in just about everything he does. Mm -hmm. And so him, you know, Rob, I've always said, it's never a mistake to add talent, and they just added a hell of a talent. So uh, I'll have to patiently wait as I go through season three. Looking forward to seeing him in season four, but we'll see. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the announcement that we're going to see Michael Pena? Two announcements, really. Number one, that they've already greenlit season four of Jack Ryan, even though season three hasn't premiered yet. And secondly, that Michael Pena is going to become a regular part of the cast there. I think it sounds great. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. Uh, by the way, guys, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Willie I.E., who sends in like a $20 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much for that, Willie. Appreciate that, man. Thanks for the support, dude. All right. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Court, who writes... With the impending IATSE strike potentially shutting down Hollywood imminently this Monday, Rob, this Monday is when they're saying they're going on strike. 
Do you expect the Batman to be delayed yet again? From Matt Reeves' tweets, it seems like the film is still in post-production. I stand with the IATSE, but I want to see this movie. (laughs) Thoughts? All right, thanks for saying that in, man. And yes, of course, look, one of the big movies that I am, one of my most anticipated, most excited movies that I'm looking forward to is obviously The Batman. Obviously, what I really want is the Ben Affleck written by, directed by, and starring Batman, but it can't be him. I love Matt Reeves. I think Pattinson's going to do a great job. I'm dying with excitement for this movie. That said, we cannot ignore the fact that the Batman is a production. And guess what? All production is in imminent danger right now. Because as we had my friend Spencer Brennan on the show a few days ago, Rob, he was great. We know that, you know, the the below the line filmmaking folks, they're looking at going on strike because they need improved working conditions. They need like a lot of stuff improved about their their the welfare of their lifestyle right now. And they need to get that addressed. And so it's coming down to the wire. And as you guys know right now, the word is that unless a deal is struck by 12.01 a.m. on Monday, all production everywhere shuts down. Everything shuts down. And that includes the Batman. Uh, This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who writes, Hollywood is on the precipice tonight as talks between the IATSE and the A, this is the the, the producers, I should say, the AMPTP continue in the hope of adverting a strike early next week that could bring almost, uh, that could bring most of the industry to a standstill. Assume there will be a strike and hope there isn't, the local 800 members were told this afternoon in the first of two planned virtual town halls. It looks about 50-50 right now, but that could change quickly. Either way, with the mood in the room. Another source close to the talks told Deadline. So right now, they're saying things are 50-50. Here's the thing. The Batman is in post-production. The ITSE covers a lot of post-production, Rob. Yes, it does. Including editors and things like that. So Sound, sound designers. Oh, so many people. If that strike happens, the answer is yes, Dorothy. There is a Santa Claus. And yes. By the way, was that, was that, is that Dorothy? Is that the name? Maybe it's a different one. What's the famous letter? Yes, so-and-so. There is a Santa Claus. I can't remember the name now. I Virginia. Thought it was the, Virginia. Yes, you're Virginia. right. You're absolutely right. It's Virginia. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And yes, Virginia, if this strike Miracle happens, on 34th Street. if this happens, uh, Batman is going to be affected. The Batman is going to be affected. Because it's still heavy into post-production right now. There are a lot of movies like, Rob, I think Spider-Man No Way Home has pretty much got a bow on it already. So I don't think Spider-Man No Way Home is really going to be affected. I, none of the movies that are like that are coming out imminently, they're going to be affected. But I think the Batman is still heavy enough in post-production right now that it could very well be uh, affected. Um, now, yeah. but I would say this, Rob, and maybe this is just the eternal optimist in me, but... I still think there's a 50-50 shot they avert this strike. And even if they don't avert the strike, Rob, I do not think this is a strike that's going to last long because I don't think the producers want this strike. I don't think IATSE wants this strike. Everybody, you know, IATSE is just doing it because they feel they need to. Like, there are things they have to get. They must get. And I think they'll get it, at least most of it. And so even if the strike happens on Monday, Rob, I don't I honestly don't think it lasts more than two weeks because the producers can't afford it to last more than that. They just got their shit back up and running. 
that can't afford this. And so ultimately, do will it affect the Batman? Yes. Do I think it's going to make a change to its release date? I don't think so because I don't think it's going to last long enough to have that kind of an impact. Rob, maybe I'm just being super overly optimistic because I still remember all the wounds and bruises from the writer's strike. And this could be much worse. So, Rob, you're hearing about this situation. I mean, it obviously it's got wide scoping reach, but we're talking specifically about the Batman, which is a good example right now because it's a movie that everybody's looking forward to. is still a little bit of a distance away, still in post-production. Rob, where do you see the strike situation right now? And do you think it will have a practical impact on the Batman? Or do you think the Batman is far enough along that it can get out of this unscathed? Oh, I, I, you know, I think the Batman's still deep into post. So I think it absolutely would affect the Batman. Now, I don't know if it'll affect the release date because the release date's pretty far out, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's well to 2022. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I don't necessarily think it'll affect the release date, but it could affect a lot of other things. Like all the studios, they're all, they're all union lots. So it could even affect our streaming services. It will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's going to affect, like, I mean, obviously there's, the stuff that's already on streaming, it's not going to go away, but who's going to run your streaming services, you know? Um, uh, the technicians and all of that, that's all part of it too, I believe. Uh, so I uh, look, this, this strike, if it happens, I think it's probably going to happen. They might avert it at the 11th hour, but they were, as far as I know, so far apart, and there's so many issues to be dealt with here. Um, but, you know, like you said, hope springs eternal. But this this is absolutely going to have far-reaching ramifications on a lot of things. And it'll be, like you said, I think Spider-Man Far From Home is, is far enough along, or No Way Home is far enough along. Uh, but it could also affect, like, the delivery of those movies yeah. to venues and things like that so it could be a real bummer for everybody and i would say uh, dude i'm just gonna hold 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 my breath yeah, it's funny too because we've been talking the last few days about hey big news like we talked yesterday samuel jackson announced that they just started production on secret invasion and you and i talked the other day about was the first day of shooting now on mandalorian season three well guess what yeah that could be real short-lived because if Monday comes and that strike happens, those productions shut down uh, as well as a lot of movies. And yes, but, but you know, Robbie, here's an interesting thing too, because he, he brings up something in the email. I just want to read this last line again from court. He says, you know, I stand with the IATSE, but I just want to see this movie thoughts. It, it reminds me a lot, Rob, of an unfortunate truth that is, and I'm not picking on court. I, cause I think this is true of most of us. Honestly, I think this is true of most of us. We'll say things like, yes, we stand with IATSE or we stand with this underdog or whatever until it inconveniences you. And I remember yeah. I was watching I was watching and reading some Twitter stuff going on. It's like when somebody you know, people are talking about the strike, I was like, yeah, these people need to be treated fairly. Blah, blah, blah. And then somebody mentioned, yeah, it'll be it sucks if Mandalorian has to shut down production and it gets delayed. And all of a sudden the tone changed. It's like, well, don't fuck it. Like basically the thing is, don't take away my Mandalorian. Like everybody yeah. says, stand with somebody until it costs them some inconvenience. Even something as little as if I might have to wait a little bit longer to see my show. And I think that's an unfortunate 
trait in a lot of us. And I think all of us have been guilty of that from time to time, but it's pretty interesting. It's like, I stand with the Yahtzee, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's good. But I want to see the Batman. I want to see the Batman. Sorry, I but I want to see the Batman, but I get that's, that's something we all have as a trait of us here. So anyway, there's that the question on the head, the question on the head, the question at hand for you guys is this. What do you think about this? This strike is looming ever and ever closer Monday at 12.01 a.m. By the time we do the next episode of the John Gamby Show, Rob, we could be talking about being in a strike because that's the next show is on Monday. And it could very well have a very real impact on not just the Batman, but other things you're looking forward to. Secret Invasion, uh, The Mandalorian, uh, Moon Knight, Moon Knight, a lot of other stuff out there so what are you guys thinking about this whatever your thoughts are jump down into the comment section below and leave them there all right guys with that down let's move on to main topic number three shall we rob what is our third main topic today well it comes from kyle knight good morning john and co-host well, good morning. <laughs> Aside from Spider-Man, Dune is my most anticipated movie for the rest of the year, and I'm hoping it does really well at the box office. Did you see that Warner Brothers just moved up the release of Eternal or Dune on HBO Max by one day so that it'll officially be out on streaming before it's in theaters? Is there any other way to interpret this other than, once again, WB trying to sabotage the film's box office success? Thanks. Well, first of all, Kyle, I have to say, Warner Brothers does not want to... Um, sabotage the box office success they already unfortunately they were already all in on this strategy of day and date releases in 2021 and that's they have to stick with that because that's what their subscribers expected of them which i understand i think they really want this movie to do well that's why they opened it in europe a month before it opened here Uh, i've seen the film i was overwhelmed by it go see it in imax on the biggest screen possible you won't be disappointed but I honestly don't think they're trying to sabotage anything. What they want to do is create, as they always have wanted to, create excitement for HBO Max and another reason to sign up for the service. Uh, Joe Blow says, what's crazy about this decision is that the film will be able to be seen even earlier than early Thursday evening preview showings that most tentpole releases have been accustomed to. For me, It's a scratch-my-head moment as this opens up the film to potential piracy pretty early. But it could point to Warner Brothers truly banking on its HBO Max performance, which, by the way, they are. They have previously stated that if Dune does well on the platform, it can guarantee another installment. But this seems to undercut how well exclusive theatrical releases have been doing the last couple of months. Dune is truly meant for the theatrical experience, but it seems like Warner Brothers still wants to promote the streaming option. John, I agree with both of those things. Obviously, HBO Max, they're trying to do everything they can to get as many subscribers as they can. So, of course, they want to have excitement for the platform. But of all the movies that have come out this year, especially from Warner Brothers, which I think, as we both talked about, I think the day and date strategy has not worked for Warner Brothers as well as they would have hoped. Um, They've undercut their theatrical performance, I think, by a great deal. Dune is really the kind of movie that people are all going to say, you've got to go to the theater and you can't just go to any theater. You got to go to an IMAX theater. You got to go to a big theater, go to an AMC, a list, whatever you have to do, go to the best theater you can find. Because John, I have to say sitting in that movie theater of all the movies I've seen in years, this movie is an experience and the sound mix alone will transport you places you've never been to before. It's amazing. What do you think? 
I'll, I'll tell you what. I look as the, the the article in Joe Blow said. We become accustomed to something that, whether it's been Universal on Peacock, or whether it's been Warner Brothers, or even when Disney has done it, when there's been a day and date release. It's always still been that the way you can see it the earliest is by going to the movie theater. For example, um, Halloween Kills is available on Peacock today. If you're if you're if you're the upper end tier subscriber to Peacock, you can see Halloween Kills on Peacock today, not with the free service or, or the lower tier service, but for the higher paid service, you can watch it today. But you couldn't yesterday, but yesterday you could see it in the movie theaters. Uh, Mm -hmm. Same was true of Black Widow. Same was true of all the other HBO, uh, the Warner Brothers and HBO releases that if you want to see it first, you can still go to the movie theater. This to me, while I understand from the beginning, their plot has been to try to promote Warner Brothers and it has not worked nearly as well as they hoped it would. This specific move to take Dune and say, yeah, you want to watch it first, you're going to have to watch it on HBO first. If you want to see it as soon as possible, and now we're talking about a matter of hours, not days, but if you want to see it as early as possible now, they made the specific undercutting move to take it and say, now, watching it in the movie theater on Thursday ain't going to be your first best option. Now HBO is. They may not be, how did they put it in the email again? Let me just bring that up in the email again. It may not be Warner Brothers trying to sabotage the film's box office success. That might not be the most fair way of saying it. But I think it is fair, Rob, to say they're willing to sacrifice Warner Brothers' box office success in this year-long, failed, desperate attempt to make HBO Max on par with Disney Plus, which it has failed to do miserably. And I, I say that as somebody who really likes HBO Max. I was just yeah. watching HBO Max. Yes, I am a big fan of HBO Max. Make no mistake about it. I totally am. I love that service. I'm not so happy with them as soon as they canceled, you know, Lovecraft <laughs> Country. But, you know, win a bunch of Emmys. Oh, congratulations. Let's cancel the show. Anyway. Uh, that is that's another that's another thing for another time. So, Rob, while I will agree with you that this was not them, you know, sabotaging this movie, I think it shows that they are willing to sacrifice this movie in order to continue pursuing that goal of trying to make HBO Max as relevant as possible. And if if doing that means they got to sacrifice its box office stuff, they're willing to do that. And Again, I think this speaks to the failed policy, a year-long failed policy on their point uh, of doing this. And if, if nothing else, Rob, it almost seems like the desperate last gasps of a regime that knows that their time is up. Because we all know that probably by the end of March of 2022, there are going to be new owners. It's going to be Discovery. And I think there are a lot of people there right now are desperately trying to say, look, we should keep our jobs, really. And I think they this is a desperate last gasp at making themselves valuable to the company, wanting to hold their jobs. I mean, look, maybe that's me being overly pessimistic, Rob. I have been known to be that from time to time. Um, but I, I don't know. This is kind of the way I see it. I, I think you're going to see the way WB does business change drastically, though, once the Discovery guys take over. 
So Agreed. anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're talking about moving this thing 24 hours. And we're talking, like I said earlier, we're talking in matters of hours instead of days. But still, I think it's fairly symbolic and representative of the entire failed philosophy Warner Brothers has had regarding this for the last year. But that's just my take. I, I could be way off, and maybe you guys have a completely different take, which I respect. Whatever your guys' take is, jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down let's move on to main topic number four and our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by chief leaf who writes hey john so tom holland just said on entertainment weekly that no way home will be the end of a franchise and that it would be the end of the homecoming trilogy he also said that if they ever dive into these characters again, that they will be very different versions. What are your overall thoughts, and what does this suggest to you about Holland Spider-Man's future in the MCU? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Chief. Appreciate that, man. And uh, listen, if there's any poster child on Marvel's executive wings, offices, walls about people with loose lips... Tom Holland is the poster child for that. Like he's <laughs> he's the picture they put up on their wall saying, "If you see this kid talking, shut him up." Like that's that's traditionally been Tom Holland. He admits that himself too. But he did just make a couple of really interesting comments. Now, let me say for context, I have thoroughly enjoyed John Watts's uh Spider-Man films, Homecoming, Far From Home. I have both found delightful films, especially mm. Homecoming. I really enjoyed Far From Home as well. A insanely excited for the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, Rob, you know I have been saying that I kind of believe, I don't know that this is true. This is just me as a fan speculating. Simple, could be right, could be wrong. But I've been speculating lately that Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be one big setup for the exit of Spider-Man out of the MCU. Yes, you have. Um, and I've kind of believed, Rob, ever since we went back to D23, the last D23 that happened back in 2017, 2018, when Sony and Marvel had said they ended their deal and they were done. But then a few days later, they said they announced a new like three or four film deal. And at that time, I said, you know what? I bet the reason they re-upped such a limited deal was just because, you know what? Let's let's set up. Oh, look at that! <laughs> I have him wearing Stark's glasses. You know, a little little no way or far from home accident there. Oh, with the, a, I love that he's got the drone above him there too. Yeah, this is a great figure. That is an awesome figure. I love that. But you know, back when they announced the reupping of the deal, I, I said I I got a feeling they're doing it so they can properly send uh, set up a proper exit because what Rob the way it was going to be was very abrupt. It was like. Uh, like all of a sudden there's Spider-Man movies and all of a sudden our deal's done. No more Spider-Man. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. We're just going to end with him the way that seems weird. So let's take a look specifically at what Tom Holland said, because there's going to be obviously Rob, a big game of interpretation here. Yep. Uh, some people are going to interpret this differently. So let's see what he said. Tom Holland said the following. We were all treating this film as the end of a franchise, let's say. 
I think if we were lucky enough, let me say this again. I think if we were lucky enough to dive into these characters again, you'd be seeing very different versions. It would no longer be the Homecoming trilogy. We would give it some time and try to build something different and tonally change the films. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But we were definitely treating No Way Home like it was coming to an end and it felt like it. Let me read that first part again. We were all treating No Way Home as the end of a franchise. We were all treating this like it was the end. It's all coming to an end and it felt like it was. Now, I think there are a couple of possibilities here. Uh, Let me start with the one that isn't the one I actually think it is, but would make sense. Possibility number one here is that he is implying a major shift in the universe and in the Spider-Man character himself, but still in the MCU. He could Mm. just be implying that, listen, there is a major fundamental shift coming to Spider-Man and his associated characters that if we do more Spider-Man movies in the MCU, we're all going to be like really different. That's definitely a possibility. That is one interpretation, and that's a valid interpretation. It could be that. But Rob, the one I believe makes more sense, because what he said kind of coincides to what I've been speculating, is it really does sound to me like he's saying, with, with trying not to say too much, is that this is it. This is the end of Spider-Man in the MCU. And if you see this again, it'll be very different. I, you know, i.e. Sony-verse. It's going to be in the Sony-verse. Now, again, that's just an interpretation. Let me say that up front. That is just an interpretation. The other interpretation that it's going to be him staying in the MCU and all that kind of stuff is valid too. But Rob, I've been saying for a while, I think there's a lot of, you know, circumstantial evidence let's call it that let's call it circumstantial evidence that points to that sony is getting ready to bring spider-man back home to bring him back into sony's verse and that's where he's going to live for now on and i think there's been anecdotal evidence that marvel has been preparing the way for it to be without spider-man so i look at his words rob and i feel a little bit more certain that we are talking about the end of Spider-Man in the MCU and him moving over to the Sony-verse thing. I, I mean, I don't know that. That's not a fact. I still could be totally wrong about that. We're all just guessing. But I see those words, and that's how I interpret it, Rob. Rob, these are some significant words. You hear them coming out of Tom Holland's mouth. What's your interpretation of the situation? Well, I think you're right. I mean, I, I have to agree with you 100%. I mean, Sony wants this franchise to be theirs they're building up their own universe i mean now with morbius they're doing craven the hunter they've got venom and carnage or maybe not carnage who knows where that's going to go but the universe we know from the end of venom uh let there be carnage has shifted somehow that now tom holland's in that universe it wouldn't surprise me at all if sony takes the next they're doing a whole new spider-man trilogy under their own auspices obviously we're dealing with the quantum realm in Marvel, the multiverse is crazy right now. Who knows where that's going to go? So I think if Spider-Man moved over to Sony and they did three movies on their own, another Spider-Man trilogy, um, nobody would miss Spider-Man in the MCU because there's so many shenanigans happening on so many different levels. We've got new characters to introduce in Marvel. Um, and I don't think anybody would miss Spider-Man for a while. And that's what they've done. Marvel has made sure 
that they're going to be able to get Spider-Man, shunt him over somewhere else. And because they're going to make their own Spider-Man movies, it's not like Tom Holland's going to be missed because we're going to get a whole Spider-Verse of stuff going on at Sony like it's has been. And um, I think that's exactly what they're doing. And everyone, I think everyone will be happy. No one's, no one's going to miss Spider-Man. Did you miss Spider-Man and Shang-Chi, John? Uh, oddly enough, I did not. No, I did and not. And I'm sure that at the, in the Eternals, I, I probably am not going to miss him. And in Thor, Love and Thunder, probably not going to miss Spider-Man. Uh, Quantum Mania, uh, Doctor Strange, probably, well, we, you know, we're going to see Doctor Strange and Spider-Man together, but we probably won't miss Spider-Man and Multiverse of Madness unless he's in that too. Who knows? But I, I think that they could get away. The Marvel Cinematic Universe will get away just nicely without Spider-Man for a long a long while especially if sony makes their own spider-man movies because they'll be dealing with their own stuff Uh, there's a there's an inconvenient truth that a lot of mcu fans don't want to accept and and i've been saying this for a long time rob in negotiations like the ones you get between sony and marvel for there to be hard negotiations both sides have to have something the other side wants and both sides have to come to the table with some degree of leverage right Here's the reality with Marvel in the MCU, though. Marvel doesn't need Spider-Man. <laughs> right. I, 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 people hate it when I say that. I'm not saying Spider-Man isn't great in the MCU. I'm not saying the Spider-Man movies haven't been thoroughly entertaining. I've enjoyed them a lot. But the reality is, Rob, the MCU doesn't need Spider-Man. They've got Shang-Chi making money, for heaven's sakes. They've got Fantastic Four coming. They've got a thousand new characters in the mutants coming. They've got Thor, and they've got all these. They got Doctor Strange, and they've got all. The, they've got hundreds of characters of a, of of a, of a roster there. The reality is, is MCU enjoy having Spider Man? Of course it does. Does the MCU need Spider Man? It didn't need Spider Man before he showed up for it eight years. It didn't need him. Didn't need him. And so the reality is when you're talking about these negotiations, it's not like Marvel is sitting at the table going, we've got to have Spider-Man. I mean, everything is lost. Everything, we're lost. Uh, if we lose Spider-Man, we, we, Marvel simply doesn't come to the table with that need. And so if Sony comes to the, t- to the table demanding the world, which they have every right to demand because they've got the rights to the character, and they would love to have so- him over there, the reality is there's only so much Marvel would be willing to do because they don't need him. It's not like they're saying um, I, I'm t- the concept of superpowers. Let's say Sony had the rights to the very concept of superpowers. Well, Marvel needs that. <laughs> Marvel has to have that. They can't exist without it. It's not this. It's not true of Spider-Man. Rob, it's not true of any single character in the MC right now. They've grown so big. It Thor isn't irreplaceable in there now. Doctor Strange isn't irreplaceable in there right now, other than what their current story plans are, obviously. But that and and the reality is Sony. What what's what's the motivation now for Sony? Sony's like, okay, we've now put out two Sony verse Spider Man movies that have done very well for us. We've got Morbius coming, which is getting a lot of traction. And we've made better Spider-Man movies than Marvel ever has. So, yeah. So, it just seems like that. But, Rob, again, 
You never know what can be on the table. You always say it's not about what you deserve. It's about what you negotiate. And if Marvel and Sony can find something that each of them both mutually really need and want, they can make another deal and extend this. And that I'm not saying is that's not still on the table. It is. I just personally think where we're at right now, it's all heading to Tom Holland leaving the MCU and going over to the Sonyverse. And, you know, and, I, I believe that 100%. And, and Rob, I don't know what you think about this, but you know, a lot of people, like I see some people in the live chat going, but John, what about Venom? Well, I said after I saw Venom that that whole ending was to set up, also help the setup of Spider-Man coming back over. Venom ain't going over to the MCU to stay in the MCU. I think it's going to be a part of bringing Spider-Man back into the Sony-verse. And then once he does, there's no way home. Uh, that's my, I don't know. How, how would you address that Rob with the venom situation? Uh, that's it. You just, that there, there it is right there. And, and that's why the movie is called that. And I think at the end of the film, Spider-Man is going to be in a different universe, you know, and, or maybe there's a little tie into multiverse of madness or something, or maybe Spider-Man is lost and, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but I don't think that's a bad thing, John. You know, I, I think that at, for the MCU, they, they're rebuilding. They're basically back to where they were when they were making Iron Man 2 and Incredible Hulk over at Universal. They're rebuilding their universe. They gave us Shang-Chi was a hit. People liked it. And um, they got Eternals coming. They've got other new characters that they're, they're going to introduce. They got the God Butcher coming. Come on now. Oh, know. And I'm just like, uh, what's not to love? Fantastic Four will be coming. X-Men, I'm sure, will be coming. People won't even remember Spider-Man's gone because Sony's going to make Spider-Man movies. So it's not like we're not going to see him. And you think that if they want to, that Sony couldn't be like, hey, man, can you throw in a MCU character for us? Cameo, whatever. It will happen just like Spider-Man kind of turned up at the end of Venom. Well, I, again... I think there's still other things are still on the table. Rob, I'm not saying that's the only possibility. I don't think you're sure. saying that's the only. Absolutely, no. there are other things that could happen. 100% there are other things that could happen. But I am still personally leaning that way. And I think all of this, including Toby's new Toby, including Tom Holland's new comment, I think that all just feeds into the theory that we are seeing the departure of Spider-Man out of the MCU. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. Question is for you guys. What do you make? Of Tom Holland's statement. He says, we filmed this as the end of the franchise, and it feels like this is the end of it. I mean, that's what he said. What? How do you interpret that? What do you guys think it means? It could mean any of the two or three things that we proposed. It could mean a hundred other different things that maybe you guys thought of that we haven't thought of. Wherever you guys are at on this, it's fun to speculate about, isn't it? Wherever you guys are on this, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With all that down... Let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? Once again, if you want to get a live question read on the show or an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video. Just click on it there or enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the phone or on the show, of course, if it's appropriate for our show. And, of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, let's get over to our first question today that comes to us from Isaiah Keith who writes, Hey John, 
you nearly had me in tears uh, when you were talking about Anne, and of course is my wife, uh, as a 20-something who just got out of a long-term relationship, I'm definitely looking for what you two have in my next one. I'm sure you get to bring on the filthy a lot of, oh, that's kind of tasteless. At any rate, uh, yeah, listen, I will talk about my wife Anne all day, every day. I, 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 I've never been prouder of anybody in my life. I've never been um, in awe of somebody as much in my life as I am of my wife. I just think my wife is like the ultimate human being. I just think she's amazing. So uh, may you find somebody that is that in your world as well. So thanks for saying that, man. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, Jabin Carter writes, John, did you hear that when Shatner came back from space, his eyes were glowing red and he kept claiming that he was the Phoenix? Oh, well, probably nothing to worry about. Yeah, Rob might have to be a little keep our eyes on Shatner there. I, I suddenly look 30 years younger. What's going on? Something, <laughs> something's fishy. Something about a uh, gamma Actually, radiation I, I storm. I like that idea. Uh, Shatner is the Phoenix, the Phoenix Force. You know, imagine what he could do. Transform humanity. Whatever he would do, you know he would start with George Takei. Ah, there's some drama there. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's move on here. Next up, uh, we've got Angel F writes. Hey, Gio. By the way, Gio is G-I-O. So G-I-O as in Giovanni. It's That's my real name. Anyway, uh, what are the chances of Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire coming back for a Spider-Man 4 with an older version of Peter set in the same universe? Zero. Uh, I think it would be very successful uh, given that there has proven to be so much excitement for No Way Home. Um no, listen, never try to guess success by how much excitement you think you see in something. Um, because if that were the case, the Power Rangers movie that came out a couple of years ago would have been a billion dollar <laughs> film. Uh, and because you, everybody can try to rewrite history right now, but the amount of buzz, Rob, on the online chat stuff when that was coming out was huge. John, you just don't understand how big Power Rangers is. No, I do. I just know it's not going to be as big as you think it is. At any rate, uh, Rob, I don't see any chance of this. If, Rob, if Toby pops up, and that's not a certainty, by the way, but if he pops up and in, in a small role in Spider-Man No Way Home, I don't think that is to lead into anything else. I think that would be for a one-time special event. Uh, and by the way, I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody, but it seems like that to me. What do you think? Could we get... A spider, a proper Spider-Man four with Tobey Maguire and uh, and uh, Sam Raimi at the helm. Do you think that could happen? I don't think so. Only because right now, um, you know, Tom Holland is is too bankable. The fact is, those movies have made a billion dollars. The the second one made over a billion dollars. So that's your money maker, and you don't want to dilute that brand. Um. But then again, John, you know what? In this day and age, I wouldn't put Who anything knows? past anyone. <laughs> you know? I mean, yep. I, 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 if Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire wanted to come back and do an offshoot Spider-Man movie, I'd go see it. I think anybody on this channel right now watching us would go see it, too. It was good. And if they kept, you know, the only thing, Spider-Man 3, I think the studio realized it was overstuffed. They put way too much in it. Sam Raimi was not happy with everything that they wanted to do. And I think that they know that. And for my own, I'll tell you a story about Spider-Man three. So when I was working on Superman returns, I was in the producer's office, Gil Adler, and I was just happened to be there and he, he gets this phone call and he's, he's listening to what's being said on the other end of the phone and his face just kind of turned and he's, he, and he was looking up at me like, 
And then he would do one of those things where he's looking at the phone and he hangs the phone up and he's like, that was Sony. They want me to come work on Spider-Man three. They're saying hmm. the budget's $350 million. He's like, they're out of their minds. <laughs> that, was, that was, that was what he said. And it was very funny because they just, that movie was out of control. But if you could make a Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi that costs $150 million, that could be a really cool thing. Yeah, but can it actually happen? Because I don't think Sony's going to do that. And if Sony takes Spider-Man back, then Marvel can't do it. So I just don't know where it would happen. I mean, who who would do uh, yeah, it? You know? I mean, but if Spider-Man Far From Home does, I mean, No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home actually does have the other two Spider-Men in it. And I'm doing a display, John, where I brought out my Hot Toys Tobey Maguire and my Hot Toys <laughs> Andrew Garfield, and I'm making a big old Spider-Man display in my Maja cases to celebrate this potentiality. I mean, why not? If the movie becomes a huge hit, and um, it would be interesting if they continued. I, can you imagine if they did a Spider-Man movie with all three of them from the get-go? Like, planned it, like came out with something and said like a like a they've already done into the multiverse which we both love why not a live action spider-man movie with all three of them from the get-go that could be awesome <laughs> i don't think it could happen but it would get a I lot know, of interest i know it would but get it a lot be. of interest could be cool all right next up we've got uh big will who writes hey john and crew so the other so the other I probably meant the other day. So the other day I mentioned how Joe Morton is in scandal was my top three villains of all time. So I went back and watched a few clips from the show and I thought, damn, these monologues are deep. It was like watching a show on Broadway, bring on the filthy. You know what? Scandal is one of those shows that doesn't actually look like it would be for a, for a lot of us who would watch a show like the John Campy show. It certainly doesn't look like the type of show that would be for me. But I'm not going to lie to you. Actually, I did kind of like that show. I really did. All right. Next up, uh, Cryo writes, hey, John, I've got an X-Men MCU theory for you. What? Somebody with an X-Men in the MCU theory? No. No way. No. <laughs> Come on. All right. It says, but if the X gene was never activated because of a nexus event in Eternals, a side effect of intervening could be the inability for humans to develop the X gene since humanity needs to evolve on its own. Um, again, the problem with that is that it takes away the history of the X-Men. Now I don't particularly subscribe to Rob's theory that we're going to find out that the X-Men have actually been there the whole time. I don't personally subscribe to that, but it's the most plausible theory I've heard so far. Like, just so you know, I don't subscribe to any X-Men theory I've heard. I don't think any X-Men theory I've come up with or that I've heard from other people is actually plausible. But Rob's theory, out of all of them, to me, is the most plausible. So, I don't know. What do you think about uh, Cryo's uh, comment there, Rob? Well, uh, you know, I, look, I, I'm going to stick by my belief that the X-Men are have already they're already here. We just haven't got to them yet. But you know, then again, anything's possible. I mean, it's very funny because John, as we both know, how the X-Men are going to wind up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe might be one of the great questions of the 21st century, looking back from <laughs> history's perspective. I mean, how is this going to happen? Um, I want to know. I want to know simply because I'm tired of listening to people ask the question or speculate. Not that I don't love everybody, but 
want to answer. <laughs> you know, like, and the same is true of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I mean, where's Reed, Reed Richards in all of this? Do people just not know who he is yet? But if he is Mr. Fantastic and he's already going to be an astronaut and go up in space, wouldn't people know about him? And I would say, well, yeah. And they all they have to do is have a scene where, you know, Bruce Banner uh, walks in and goes, hey, everyone, I want to introduce you to one of my good friends, Reed Richards. We went to college together. He's one of the smartest people I know. But bam, Reed Richards is in the Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. So I, I don't know. I just want to remind everybody, Kevin Feige said five years. And we're getting close to that five-year mark now. We, we are now actually getting close. So we got to start keeping our eyes open for stuff. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Dangerous D who writes, Hey, John, Jensen Ackles is set to star in an American frontier Western called Rust. I read about that. Yes. I just realized Hollywood doesn't do Western movies very much. The last one I saw was Tom Hanks's News of the World, and it didn't do too well. Well, that's because I was a streaming one. Uh, do you feel Western genre is slowly dying? No. Western genre is just, especially for the last, Rob, I don't know, what, 30 years? For the last 30 years, it's just not a genre that you see a lot of. Right. I mean, even when The Unforgiven came out, it's not like Westerns were all the rage at the time. It, there hasn't been a lot of Westerns, period. But that, I don't believe that means the Western is dying. Well, look um, at something like Yellowstone. Yeah. That's like a modern Western or Hell in High Water. That oh, was a modern Western. So good. Logan, so, Logan, in many Logan's ways, is a modern, a modern Western. Modern too. I just think that, you know, remember... Uh, where we're at when they were when westerns were a big deal we weren't that far away from people pushing westward you know and in, in, you're talking about the yeah. in bonanza and and when that show was on westerns were big in the 50s and 60s we were just a few decades away from uh there was still a western frontier you know and you could do a mo- modern western today but we just have different different things are happening i love yellowstone by the way Love uh, it's so good. Yeah, so I, I think it's just the Western genre is still kind of plugging along the way it has for the last couple of decades. I just saw a really bad one called The Harder They Fall. That was terrible. Oh, I haven't seen it. Was that bad? It was awful. But listen, listen. Uh, to be fair, to be fair, the last I checked, let me look it up right now. The last I checked, it had an 81% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm saying it's awful, but do keep in mind that a lot of the, a bunch of other people uh, seem to say that they like it. Let me bring it up here. This last I checked, it was at eighty-one. Oh, it still has just twenty-six reviews. Okay, so the number of reviews hasn't changed. It's still at eighty-one percent. But it's one of those situations to me where it's like, listen, I, all film is subjective. But every once in a while, I see a movie that I love so much that I just can't understand why other people wouldn't. And sometimes I see a movie that is so bad I can't understand why people would like it, even though to me all film is subjective. The harder they fall is one of those movies. Rob, it's so bad. I'm not going to go through the whole diatribe I did last uh, time, but it's so bad. I explained this on the show yesterday. You know what a facade is, right, on a set? So a facade. So if you go on to like Universal City's lot, Universal Studios lot or Warner Brothers lot, and it looks like you're on a city street, it's not a real building. If you go behind the building, you see it's just one big piece of wood that's made to look like the front of a building, right? Rob, there are shots in this, multiple shots in this movie where you literally see the facade. It's like, wait a minute. And I had a pause. It's like, did, was that oh literally just the back of the facade they just showed in that shot? Sure enough, that's what it was. I mean, that's, and that does not make the movie bad. I'm saying the movie was so bad. And then that, the facade shot just be kind, kind of becomes 
you know, uh, the manifestation of just how badly this movie is put together. Man, I mean, you, I know it's a. First, I think it's a first-time director too. It is. And, no, well, and, not uh, a first-time director. He directed another western in 2013, mm. and that's and then he also directed like a Jay Z short. But he is he is Seal's younger brother. But oh. here's the thing, Rob. But when I was reading, watching the credits at the end, I realized, oh yeah, this that whole movie was about one guy. It was about the director. He wrote it. He directed it. He wrote all the songs in it, all the music that's in it. He'd like, it was pretty much a, it felt like a, let me show the world how great I am and I'll do everything on it. Oh, and, and it's, yeah, it's like, how does he get this incredible cast? Like Delroy Lindo is in this, Rob. Zazie is in this. Cause Seal probably made a call. Cause Seal probably made a call, but any, uh, it's too uh, bad when you have that much, that much uh, those resources at your disposal. I always, I always want people to succeed. It bums me out when they've got all that and it doesn't work out so much talent. And it's just Rob. Oh God. I, I want to talk to you after you watch the movie. I want to talk to you so bad. I'm watch watch I, it looks dope. I lo- you remember we talked about the trailer. I love the trailer. I loved the trailer, but Oh, the movie's so bad anyway. Okay. Let's keep going here. Uh, next up. We've got uh, Eddie Burton who writes, uh, I'm a big fan of Dave Bautista from his days in the WWE uh, to now as an actor, but he's had a habit of maybe saying bombastic things publicly. Curious if you felt the same and if you think that will lead to him not to reach his full potential as an actor. Yes. Listen, I have talked many times how much I like Dave Bautista, not just as a performer, as a dude. Rob, I remember the first time I interviewed Dave Bautista. It was on the movie that uh, Eli Roth was a producer of, and I think um, uh, RZA directed. It was called The Man with the Iron Fists. I think that was the name of the movie. It was a Western. (laughs) It was a Western of all things. It was Man with the Iron Fists, and Dave Bautista plays a bad guy in it. And I remember it was the first time I had a chance to sit down and talk with Dave Bautista. And I had never met a more humble guy in this business because I sat down with this monster of a man. We got together with there was this bar on Sunset Boulevard in, in Hollywood and sat down with them. And everything about Dave Batista was, look, I know I'm not a thespian. I know I've got to earn my stripes. All I can do is work hard. And I am so lucky right now that there are people giving me an opportunity to show what I can do right now and give me an opportunity to learn. Cause I know I'm not the greatest actor right now. I bring a different set of tools. I'm a big guy. I'm an action guy. I can do a lot of stuff, but I want to learn and I want to grow. I, I was just so floored Rob by the guy's humility, his humbleness, his quiet spirit in a lot of ways. To- and, and I became an instant fan of his. Now I've been lucky enough that I've then had a chance to talk with him on a number of occasions. Rob, he was the first celebrity to sign up when I did that 24 hour uh, uh, typhoon relief stream that I did. He was the first guy to say, I'll be on that. And Dave Batista came on for a bit to help us raise money for people who were in trouble. And I got to talk with them on the, the set of uh, the James Bond film. So I love Dave Batista, but Rob, Dave Batista has developed a habit of saying some pretty stupid, badly timed things. 
Like the, the one time when somebody asked him, hey, would you want to do Fast and Furious movie? Just say, you know what? I, I can't really see myself in a Fast and the Furious. But instead he said, nah, man, I want to do good movies. With and It's like, dude, you were in Stuber. Okay? You were in My Spy. It, those movies are shit. Like, it's, don't say stuff like that. And the one thing that makes me worry about Dave a little bit is that he's going to say... He doesn't seem to have that filter between his brain and his mouth. And and my fear for him and his growing career is that at some point he's going to say something that's really stupid that's going to piss the wrong person off and it could start limiting his opportunities, which is really too bad because, Rob, today we actually see him not just being a big physical guy in a movie. We're actually seeing him becoming a better director or a better actor. We saw glimpses of that in Blade Runner 2049. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. He actually performed that scene really well. And I don't want to see him stunt his own career growth. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, Rob, what do you say to all that? No, I I completely agree with you. I mean, I think he's an engaging on-screen presence, but I I just think he needs direction. Um, Like, I wasn't particularly impressed uh, with Army of the Dead, you know? Um, I think a lot of people weren't. (laughs) Yeah, and I I just thought I, I kept... I, I wanted him. To, I wanted him to be more like Kurt Russell in Escape from New York, you know. Whereas I think on say Guardians of the Galaxy, you you love him, you know. And and like any actor, especially I think a guy like Dave Bautista. And if you watch even the short, there's a short Blade Runner twenty forty nine, like a prequel, one of those three prequel shorts he's in, and he's really good in that. I thought, and um, I think it all comes down to he he's somebody that needs some you got to take some time and, 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 and get a performance out of him. But I think he definitely could give it. I mean, he's an imposing guy. I like the way he looks on camera and I hope that he, um, he has a long career ahead of him. So do I, I just don't want to see, I just, I just fear he may sabotage his own career and I don't want to see him do that because I, I just, I like the guy too much. All right. Next up, uh, we go over to Norman who writes, It seems like The Rock has taken every opportunity to speak on the situation and Vin Diesel has taken the high road. Uh, Why is The Rock stuck in the past while Vin moves on with the Fast franchise? Uh, And like it or not, Fast 9 was more successful than Hobbs of Shaw. Hobbs of Shaw, was it though? Was it? Because, okay, look, first of all, Dwayne The Rock Johnson does not bring up the, the stuff with Vin Diesel. He gets asked about it. Right, like the last topic we just talked about, where he kind of ran down the whole reason why you probably won't see him there again. Then that he was directly asked in an interview that question. Boom, and they put it to him, and he does. And by the way, like the whole th- stuff with Tyrese, like it, that wasn't Dwayne the Rock Johnson bringing that in. That was Tyrese that started making all these big things, and it just left Rock in a position where he had to respond to it. So I don't think Vin Diesel has taken the high road. I don't think Dwayne Johnson has taken the high road. Um, I think it's always unfortunate when two really talented people have such differences with each other that they can't make it work for the sake of good business. I think it's unfortunate, but it happens. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to all of you guys, too. Rob, I, I think it's happened to you. It's happened to all of us. I mean, it's just a part of reality of life. 100%. So, yeah, that's just kind of my take. But listen, Hobbs and Shaw, all right? A movie that has none of the founding characters of the Fast and Furious franchise. Characters that are just kind of side characters. Go off and do a spin-off movie without any of the core Fast and the Furious crew in it. 
So let me just look it up. Hobbs and Shaw, box office. That movie went on to make, where is it now? Where is the box office number for the, why can't I find the box office number? Uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, because I didn't write in box office. That's why. Hobbs and Shaw box office. Okay, so Hobbs and Shaw, a a spinoff movie with two of with two characters that are not core members of the Fast and Furious crew. Blah blah. Yeah, that made seven hundred and fifty nine million dollars. <laughs> seven hundred and fifty nine million dollars. That's a nice box office total there. Now you can you compare that, Rob, to the uh, the ninth film of the fran or the eighth film or whatever of the franchise with all the core members obviously other than the than Paul Walker uh with all the with the core franchise all there the ones that the audience has been with all the years blah 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 guess what not making much more than Hobbs and Shaw did as a one time spin off thing I, I don't know that that's something you brag about I and it really that's not a bad thing on Fast and Furious. That just shows you how well Hobbs and Shaw did. And also want to remind you, the Fast and the Furious franchise never made a lot of box office until Mr. Reginald Dwayne Johnson showed up, and all of a sudden their box office took off like a missile. So I, I'm just saying I don't I don't think it's this bad negative thing that you're painting it to be. So, uh, anyway, this is my take on that. Oh, by the way, Robert, just want to point out, Anton Riley sends in like a $20 super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Anton. Appreciate that, man. Very Thanks, much. Anton. Thank you for the support. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, we've got Matt Weber who writes, Union strong. People need to see the power of working men and women in solidarity with one another. If the strike happens, I, for one, support it. And, Rob, you know, we had uh, Spencer on here the other day explaining the position of the IETSE. Uh, Aaron was on here yesterday, a member of SAG, saying her and most of the members of SAG all support uh, their their co-workers in the IETSE as well. Um, Rob, you know, these are people that don't get the glamour. We see the movie stars. We see them, but we don't see the people who actually make the movie. We, we don't see them. Rob, if you had to sum up in like one minute, as somebody who has worked on that end of the spectrum as well, yourself, why is this important to the IATSE union right now? Why is this important? The the whole strike itself? Yeah. Because these are the people that actually make all of the programming that we know and love. Movies, TV shows. They're the workaday people that that are toiling away for very long hours with sometimes very little sleep to make your entertainment and you know they make it look effortless and the fact that we don't know who they are and we don't think about them uh, is that means they've done their job really well and so what we want or, and i think what anybody who works on films wants is just to be able to do the work they need to do and also have a life be able to live and breathe and 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 there are times when you don't you know, you don't see your friends and family for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And it is, after all, John, just a job. Why does it have to be this all-encompassing, life-sucking profession? It, it shouldn't be that way. And I'll tell you something else. Working a 10-hour day instead of a 12-hour day couldn't be all the difference in the world to people. And ultimately, it's going to make people in the long run more productive. And it might add 
days to a schedule, but I think it needs to happen. Uh, the, 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 the industry needs to reform. And I think ultimately, now we're talking day-to-day. A lot of people just don't understand the day-to-day grind that production is. And that hasn't changed in 100 years. It's the same job that it's always been. And yet in our world today, people are not getting compensated the way they should be. And they're also being forced to work in conditions that are not optimal to their health and welfare. Well put. Well put. All right. Next up, uh, we got Suthius who writes, this might be a silly question, but now that Disney has the rights to the Predators and the Xenomorphs, those are the aliens, for those of you who might be wondering, uh, do you think we can see fun Easter eggs here and there? For example, the Guardians could be walking by and we'll see a Predator mask in the background. Well, under fair use, I don't need, I don't know that there's anything stopping them from doing that in the first place. Nope. Like, I think that could be considered like fun parody or something like that. So you could, but I don't see why they would. And yes, they could now that they own both of them, but I think they could have before, even though they didn't, as long as it didn't become a plot point. Rob, do you have anything to add to that? No, but I think that was good. Yeah, you can pay homage to that. You can do those kinds of things. It's it's like the ETs in, in uh, episode one. All right, next up. is That was a good one to bring up. All right, Alex writes, Hey, John, for the last 18 months, I've worked in a place where COVID health and safety hasn't been a leadership concern. That's unfortunate. I finally start a new job on Monday. The John Capish Show has kept me sane and kept me going through the pandemic. Thanks for all you have and continue to do. Well, thank you so much for that, Alex. I appreciate that, man. And I know Rob and I have both talked about a lot that, you know, there are times going through the pandemic where it was a struggle to do the show because there was often nothing to talk about. There was no movies. There was no anything. But we kept doing the show. You guys kept watching. And here we still are. So thank you for being part of that community, Alex. Really appreciate that, man. All right. Next up, James Argenta writes, with Sung Kang rumored to play an Inquisitor in Obi-Wan, do you think Jason Isaacs could have a cameo in the show and reprise his role as the Grand Inquisitor from season one of Rebels? I mean, look, whenever you ask a question, could... Do you think Jason Isaac could? Well, the answer is yes, could. But let's make no mistake about it. You're you're asking a theoretical based upon an unknown rumor. So you're taking an unproven rumor. Sung Kang is going to be playing an Inquisitor. Well, nobody knows that. And then you're saying, now let's go beyond that. Is is Oscar uh, or Jason Isaacs, I should say, and I love Jason Isaacs. Uh, could he come in? Well, I mean, the answer to any question that has the word could in front of it is yes, but I think highly unlikely. Rob, what do you think about the rumor of Sun Kang, which we know is going to be an Obi-Wan? We just don't know as what. Right. But what do you think about that rumor of him being an Inquisitor? And do you think they could start bringing in old animated voice characters and bring them over into live action? What do you think? Well, I think clearly they can always, they're, they're bringing characters from animation into live action. So that's actually happening. And whether or not he's an in- Inquisitor, sure. Why not? Like, I guess we'll know when they finally debut a trailer or something. I, I mean, they, there's a possibility. I think one of the cool things about what they're doing with Star Wars on Disney Plus is they're taking the best elements from the animated shows, Clone Wars and Rebels and things like that. And they're, they're, I love Tano in live action. You know, I mean, I think it's really cool. And the more of that lore, because they did a pretty good job. Uh, adding lore to the Star Wars universe through the Clone Wars series, especially as it went along. And then in Rebels, you know, Bad Batch, I wasn't as big a fan of, but I think it's pretty cool. And, and in terms of, I mean, I don't know who's going to play whom, but 
it's a pretty good bet you're going to start seeing a lot more from the animated shows being brought into live action. And I'm uh, for it, man. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Pedro who writes, Hey, John, big fan. Thank you so much, Pedro M. I recently started watching Shameless, and which is coming to an end now, and I'm enjoying mm-hmm. it, but is that Anne in Season 1, Episode 3? I can uh, guarantee you that is not Anne. I don't know what which episode you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, I don't know the show that well enough, but I can tell you, I mean, William H. Macy is great, but I can tell you that is not Anne. Whatever it is you thought you saw, that is not Anne in season one, episode three. Uh, Hey, feel free to send me a still. Maybe they used a picture of her from something. She's done some modeling, so maybe there's a random picture of her, but I don't think so. All right. Uh, Hooli Hoop writes... I watched Airplane for the... Ah, good on you. I watched Airplane for the first time, and yes, it holds up. For reference, <laughs> for reference, I am a 30-year-old chick and found it hilarious. Uh, here's to hoping others continue to have a sense of humor because I miss the type of comedy. Legend uh, legend is the guy is still waiting for in line for that taxi. Um, <laughs> guy, guy, what does it rank for you in terms of like uh, where, where it sits for you amongst your all-time favorite comedies? Oh, dude, it's right up there at the top. And I got I got to give a shout out to uh, Callan McGarry, who's a, a viewer of our show. He, too, contacted me uh, this week and said he watched Airplane. And he said this. He said, you and John were right. It <laughs> is the best comedy. I mean, I think we forget now because we grew up with the Zucker brothers, whether it was Naked Gun or whether it was Top Secret. But Airplane, when it came out, was so new and so fresh. And I don't think, John, that I've ever laughed as loud or as many times in a movie theater as I did that first time seeing Airplane. I I can't remember. I mean, I remember I saw it at the John Dance Theater, the same theater I saw Star Trek The Motion Picture and Logan's Run and so many other movies. And it blew the roof off the place. I mean, it was one of those movies where you had to go back and see it again because you missed half the jokes because people were still laughing at the joke that just happened and the absurdist i mean the funny thing about it was it's they're trying to tell you a a a story that works but it's also a parody but then within the story the lines the absurd humor i mean it was unique and i'd never seen anything like it so it's it's not the kind of humor that i love in movies like tootsie or the original arthur or even later comedies like get him to the greek or i love you man it's unique and now Now it's just, I mean, every time I go back and take a, catch a glimpse of it, I'm like, wow, this still works 41 years later. <laughs> it's one of my favorite comedies of all time, bar uh, none. Murderana is saying in the live chat, uh, great line, a hospital, what is it? It's a big building with patients. It's... <laughs> but that's not important right now. <laughs> that's, not important. That's, a big, that's not important right now. All right. Uh, let's get a couple more in here while Rob is still with us. Uh, now I want to watch Airplane again, Oh, dude. God, I want to watch Airplane <laughs> so bad. Uh, wait a second. Let me get my screen on here because that disappeared for some reason. Uh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Uh, next up, we got Your Name Rights. An acquaintance stars in multiple streaming networks. Do you subscribe and watch all the shows weekly over several months? Wait until they all end to subscribe and binge all episodes in a month. What if it's a close relative? Um, I can say this when I've had an actual friend of mine who is in a show or a movie, I tend to watch it right away. Yeah. Um, now I don't I don't talk on this show about all the different people I know who are who are in shows. I mean, sure. but you guys know about Aaron. You guys know Aaron. So just an example for Aaron. 
when Aaron is in a show, I will watch it right away. I will watch it immediately. Even when the show sucks. Because I'll tell you what, Rob, the first few episodes of Spartacus are rough. The first, the first three episodes of Spartacus is some of the worst television I've ever seen. And I only kept watching it because Aaron was in the show. And sure. I'm glad I did because Spartacus is now my top three favorite shows of all time. Like about halfway through episode three, that show just got injected with vitamin awesome. Like just a big heap and injection of vitamin awesome. And it became my number three favorite all time. Awesome. Oh, God, man. It became like one of my favorite shows of all times. Uh, Absolutely loved it. Uh, Okay. Let's move on here. Next up, uh, we've got Brian Schwab who writes, John, uh, when Eddie changes to Venom, his clothing just disappears, then reappears. When Bruce changes to Hulk, his clothing rips and stays rips uh, when he changes backs. How will Kevin Feige reconcile reconcile this as Venom joins the MCU? First of all, let's be very clear. Venom is not joining the MCU. You may see him pop up, which is something we've been talking about as a part of the overall plan to usher Spider-Man back over to Sony. He may pop up, but Venom is not joining the MCU. But... There is a big fundamental difference. Rob, let me tell you what I think the difference is. You tell me what you think. Whereas Bruce changes, he physically changes into the Hulk. His body, his flesh actually grows and expands. That's not what happens with Eddie, with Venom. Like you see Venom peels his own face back and you still see Eddie under there. Yeah. And talk to people, blah, 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 blah. And then it closes back over. The symbiote lives within him and then comes out and forms him. So I think that's the fundamental difference. That's why Eddie's clothes can still be there and Hulk's can't. They change very, very differently. Eddie doesn't turn into Venom. Venom emerges. Venom comes out. I know, Rob, yeah. how would you explain the difference? No, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's it's Eddie Brock is still there, clothes and all. There is no transformation going on. He's just there, and Venom Venom just comes out and wraps himself around Eddie. You know, that's part of what he is. He's a symbiote, so there is no actual transforming. Eddie Brock does not transform into Venom. He's just a guy who's now being covered over by this alien sludge symbiote. All right, let's do one more while we got Rob here. And that one comes to us from BK Dan, who just writes, John, I just contributed to the big hype of pre-sales of Eternals. First time back at the big screen since Infinity War. Dude, it's been a long time, man. You got it's been a long time coming. Wish me luck with culture shock of being around people again. Bring on the filthy safely, that is. And Rob, you weren't here the other day when we were talking about this, but Eternals advance the first day advance ticket sales. Beat the first day advance ticket sales of Shang-Chi by 86%. And they beat the advance day first day ticket sales of Black Widow by 30%. Now, that does not automatically mean that it'll have a bigger opening weekend. It does not automatically mean that. But it's not a bad sign. Nope. I mean, because, Rob, you and I have both been wondering, are people going to be interested in Eternals? They don't know anything about them. The, The trailers haven't really given us a lot. And will people be interested? I think the answer to that question is that they're interested. What did you make of that that figure that came out about Eternals beating the first day pre-sales of both Shang-Chi and Black Widow? Well, I think it's you were on the heels of people back back at the movies seeing Bond and seeing Venom and seeing other things. I think people are 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 happy to be back at, at the movies. And I also think, look, I think people once again 
they underestimate the broad appeal that a movie like The Eternals has. There's strong male and female characters. Um, I think that people are intrigued, and I think we've seen very little about the movie itself. I think it's going to be, I've often said, I think the movie's going to surprise a lot of people because of what's happening. So, um, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me Eternals is appealing to a lot of people. All right. And by the way, uh, Wyatt Bender sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Wyatt. Appreciate that. Well, Rob, we've kept you a little bit over time here. Thanks a lot for being here again. Rob, may you have a glorious weekend in front of you. But while we wait for your triumphant return on Monday, where can people follow you and all your stuff online? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel of The Burnett Work. All right, man. Thanks a lot for being here. I'll talk to you again later. Have a good one, man. All right, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But listen, guys, we still have some time left, so let's keep going through more of your questions, shall we? We're going to get things, keep things rolling here with an anonymous viewer who tips in like 50 bucks. Thank you, anonymous viewer, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. And then the anonymous viewer writes, hey, John, incredibly excited about Hawkeye. Let him have his due. Uh, so much better in the comics. In MCU, he's either under someone else's control or in the background, then getting heat as Black Widow, not him. I'm hoping that they give him stuff to shine. Um, look, Listen, I am sure the Hawkeye series is going to be good. I'm sure it's going to be good. I just have personally not liked the trailers. And I get a lot of crap from you guys. I get a lot of shit from you guys for the fact that I don't like the Hawkeye trailers. I just don't. I don't think they're very good. But a lot of you guys are loving them, and that's great. But I do feel pretty confident it's going to be good, and I think it'll be interesting to see him get a chance to really take the spotlight. So we'll see how that goes. All right, thanks for running that in, man. Uh, Next up, Jody Harkavy writes, uh, the $50 tip about Hawkeye was me. Oh, you just forgot to put your name in. Uh, I am also excited about Secret Invasion. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be good scrolls versus rogue ones, but most excited about Eternals. Uh, it's going to open up so many possibilities. You're right about that. The Eternals is going to open up a whole new dimension to this entire world that I think is going to be really interesting to see how they handle it. And again, the fact that they've got you know, the reigning best director at the Academy Awards, Chloe Zhao, directing it. I think this is the first time ever in us in uh, comic book movie history that the reigning best director Academy Award winner is directing a comic book film. It's going to be really interesting to see how that all turns out. All right. Next up, uh, Jody Harkavy also writes, have you seen Only Murders in the Building? I've, I've We've talked about it many times on the show, uh, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Also has Nathan Lane. It's quirky. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I haven't watched the whole thing yet. I've watched a number of episodes. I really like what I've seen so far. My wife is obsessed with it. Like, Anne is absolutely obsessed with Only Murders in the Building. So she is all caught up on it, and I will get the rest of the way caught up. It's It's great. It's great. The, the pacing of it's fantastic. The characters are quirky. I'm a sucker for a good mystery. It's a great play on modern pop culture with the whole thing of true crime, crime podcasts and stuff like that. It's a really perfect amalgamation of a lot of different elements that makes it really, really entertaining. Okay, uh, next up, we've got Gang Writes. John, a new promo for Hawkeye just got released, and we talked about this yesterday, and I loved it. The teaser also announced that the show will have a two-episode premiere, uh, which is interesting. I think it's because the finale would overlap with Boba Fett's premiere episode, and now it won't. Well, I mean, here I don't think that's why they're launching with two episodes to start, because if they were worried about that, they just would have launched the show one week earlier. 
it's not uncommon right now for a lot of these streaming shows that are week-to-week shows to drop the first two or three episodes at once. I remember Hulu does that every once in a while with some of their series. Uh, They'll come out and they'll drop like, I remember when like um, Runaways premiered, Hulu dropped like the first three episodes. And I think the same thing happened with uh, The Boys, if I'm not mistaken. They'll drop the first couple, right? Just to get you really invested right away. And then they go to their week-to-week thing. So I think it has more to do with that than it does about not wanting to overlap with Boba Fett. Again, because if they were worried about overlapping with Boba Fett, they simply just would have moved the show one week. But this way, they can get the best best of both worlds. Uh, By the way, uh, BK Dan sends in a Super Chat badge in live chat. Thank you, BK. Appreciate that. Uh, Okay, next up. We go to uh, BK Dan, who writes, John, prediction of Eternals, $102 million Friday through Sunday, 150 Thursday through Sunday. I do believe they count the Thursday night early screening. I'm not 100% about that, but I had somebody in the industry tell me uh, that they already count that, but you think it's going to crack $100 million. I still have a hard time believing that it'll crack $100 million. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it could. I hope it does. I'm going to see the movie on Monday. I mean, once we start hearing word of mouth, like, look, if the word of mouth is strong and positive and exciting, like it was for Shang-Chi, then Eternals can be the first film since 2019 to break $100 million opening weekend. It can be that film. But it's all dependent on, does it get that big, crazy, exciting word of mouth going like Shang-Chi did? If it's just good and if it's a good movie and people like it, I don't know if it makes $100 million. If it's like people are coming out going, oh, my God, everybody, you have to see this movie like they did for Shang-Chi, then it might. We'll have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. But I am seeing the movie now. What is it today? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I'm seeing the movie in three days. One, two, three. Un, deux, trois. Somebody asked me, on I don't know why this came up. Somebody asked me on Twitter yesterday, hey, John, you're Canadian. Can you count in French? I'm like, well, uh, un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf, dix, onze, douze, treize, quatorze, quinze, seize, dix-sept, dix-huit, dix-neuf, dix, vingt, vingt et un, vingt deux, vingt trois. Yes, I can count in French. Bonjour, je m'appelle John. Comment t'appelles-tu? Anyway, so, uh, anyway. Yes, very excited to see Eternals. Cannot wait. Actually, I'm going to see Eternals twice in two days. I'm going to see Eternals twice in two days. I'm going to see it Monday at the world premiere, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it again on Tuesday. And I think I'm going to take. Uh, I think I'm going to take Rob to see it on. Uh, I think I need to bring. I get a plus one. Uh, for my screening on Tuesday. I think I'm going to bring Rob with me to come see it so he can see it as well. So I'm going to see it. By the end of Tuesday, I will have seen Eternals twice. Very stoked, guys. Very, very stoked about it. I will let you know how it is once I see it. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Um, Next up, where are we at here? That was BK. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, one of four. Okay, here we go. I saw No Time to Die this past weekend, and I really enjoyed it. But I did have some problems with it. Like Rob, while I thought uh, Malik was great, Safin's plan didn't make a se- didn't make sense once he accomplished his initial goal. I, I agree with that, too. I really liked No Time to Die. I think it's very good. But the villain was a problem. And, like, the whole thing about his plan, especially after he accomplishes his initial goal, is like, well, what's the point of him after the initial goal? Anyway, um... 
And there was no line justifying why they needed to go after Safin once he completed his goal. Yes, they did. Like, I won't give away spoilers, but yes, they did. They absolutely did do that. Safin never says, I'm going to sell spoiler to the highest bidder. Uh, Yeah, but he was going to be in possession of it. That's enough. Uh, Going after Safin felt more like covering M's ass and actually stopping Safin. Not when you understand how dangerous of the thing was that he had. It became absolutely imperative. Also, oh, there's no three. Wait a second. There's one, two. No three. Okay, we just go right to four. Okay. Um, also, didn't end credits make it seem like it was a remake of Her Majesty's Secret Service? If they wanted to remake it, why not just flat out remake it? I didn't feel that at all. I'll be honest with you. But again, Sam, I agree. Like, I really did enjoy No Time to Die. I think it's a very good movie. Not as good as Casino Royale or Skyfall. Definitely better than Quantum of Solace and Spectre. I thought it was very good, but the villain was the biggest weakness of the movie to me. Um, they they should have done, could have done, should have done, ought to have done a much better job with that. And I am 100% in agreement with you on that point. I really, really am. All right. Next up, uh, Sam Fisher also writes in, uh, one of three, I'm worried that the way No Time to Die ended, they're going to go full reboot which sucks. Well, I mean, not really. That's really what they should be doing because I love Naomi Harris, Ralph Fiennes or Rafe Fiennes, I should say, and Ben Winshaw's take on Money, Penny, M and Q respectively. Um, and while Bond has replaced some actors and not others in the past, Craig was far more continuous and serialized than I think Bond has ever been. That's absolutely true. Uh, they basically replaced everyone except Dame Judi Dench, who for the who they were initially going to replace before Martin Campbell decided he wanted to keep her on. Yeah, listen, it's time. Look, we've all known every time they've swapped James Bonds, it was a new iteration of the James Bond story. Even if they kept a certain actor carryover to play a character, that's always happened. But we've always known, look, we've always known that Roger Moore's James Bond is not Sean Connery's James Bond, was not George Lazenby's James Bond, and wasn't Timothy Dalton's James Bond. And Pierce Brosnan wasn't Roger Moore's James Bond. And Daniel Craig wasn't George Lazenby's James Bond. Like, we've always known this. So, yes, there's a tradition that they will still carry over certain characters. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised at all if when they reboot James Bond, um, if when they reboot James Bond, if, like, Ray Fiennes isn't still M. I wouldn't be surprised. Or if Naomi Harris isn't still Moneypenny. Or if Lashana Lynch isn't still another double O agent. I wouldn't be surprised. But even if they do that, it is still really a reboot. I mean, that's kind of been the tradition of James Bond in many ways. All right. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Next up, we've got uh, Dangerous D who writes. Hi, John. DC Comics is making some controversy. Uh, John Kent, the new Superman. uh, I was wondering when somebody's going to ask about this. Um, John Kent, the new Superman and son of Clark Kent, is coming out as bisexual. I really don't know what to think of this. Uh, There is a lot of division. Dean Cain is against it. Okay, first and foremost, who the fuck cares what fucking Dean Cain thinks? Dean Cain is almost as, as an irrelevant nobody as I am. Not quite, but almost. So who the fuck cares what Dean Cain thinks? Anyway... Uh, not that I, by the way, not that I dislike Dean Cain. I'm just saying Dean Cain is almost as big of an irrelevant nobody as I am. So, I mean, who really cares what Dean Cain thinks? 
anyway, I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, though. It is, you know, that's, that's all I'm saying. I don't know. I don't dislike the guy. He could be wonderful for all I know. Anyway, uh, Dean Kane is against this. Like, what's what say does Dean Kane have in any of this? Anyway, do you agree or disagree with Dean Kane? Um, honestly, look, I, I'm just gonna be straight up with you. Clark Kent's son being a bisexual character is not an issue. It's not an issue. And if you have an issue with it, that's your issue. Honestly, to me, the bigger issue is why would you have a problem with it? Other than just being ravagingly homophobic. Like, what's the, the problem with it? Why do you have... The issue isn't that Clark Kent's son is bisexual. The issue is, why do you have a problem with that? That's the issue. Why do you have a problem with that? And you know what's funny? For those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, let me see if I can bring this up here. Uh, I, I made this graphic the other day because I was uh, I saw somebody wrote this on, uh, on Facebook, actually. And I'll, I'll bring it up here. I saw somebody write this on Facebook. Somebody wrote this. They said, um, why talk about sexuality at all? We don't care. Uh, They should just keep their personal sexuality out of comics. Okay. You say that, but I never hear you. I never hear anybody complain when Wolverine is making out with Jean Grey or Arrow the Green Arrow's making out with Black Canary or Superman's making out with Lois or Wonder Woman, when Flash is making out with Iris, when Cyclops is making out with Gene, a little bit of three of there, when Aquaman's making out with Marrow and Batman's making out with any one of the... Oh, no, no, then it's never a problem having sexuality. Oh, no, that's never a problem, never a problem. Oh, wait a minute, that, that character's bisexual. Oh, now we don't want them to have their sexuality. In their blah, blah, blah. Look, tell you what, just do us all a favor. Quit pretending like it's anything other than the fact that you just hate gay people. Just, just, just admit you just hate gay people and just be real about it. Just be real about it. Look, everybody's always saying, well, create new care. Okay, well, Jonathan Kent is a relatively new character in comics. He's a young guy and they're saying he's discovering that he's bisexual. Okay, so that's his character. He's either, you know, homosexual, bisexual, heterosexual, whatever. Now we know what he is. Okay. So move on. That's what his character is. Now move on. I just don't understand why people have a problem with it. Like, like again, to me, the issue is you. If you have a problem with it, that to me is the issue. Why do you have a problem with it? It's just... Uh, I, look, it, it honestly says more to me about you than it does about anything else. And I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about whether they make Clark Kent's son bisexual, gay, Italian, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Russian. I don't give a shit. I don't care. Because I don't care what a comic book character's sexuality is. I don't care. And if you say you don't care what a comic book character's sexuality is, then this shouldn't be an issue to you. It should just be a little detail about the character that you now file away in the back of your head. If it doesn't matter to you, why are you acting like it matters to you? 
Oh, I'll tell you why. Because you just hate gay people. That's it. Just admit it. Get it off your chest. Just be real. Just admit you hate gay people and move on. Because there's nothing wrong with this. And I just don't care. I just don't care. And since I don't care, it doesn't bother me to know that Clark Kent's son is bisexual. He likes to kiss guys and he likes to kiss girls. If anything, I'm jealous that it gives him more options. But I don't care. And since I don't care, it's not an issue to me. Again, the issue is that why would you have an issue with it? Anyway, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell other people what to think. You can think whatever it is you want to think. My thought process is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Batman is straight. Well, then why show Batman kissing Catwoman? I don't know, because he is a straight character. So once in a while, you're going to see Batman being straight, and you're going to see him kiss women once in a while. Who cares? I don't care that that Clark Kent's son is bisexual. Well, then why show him kiss another boy? Well, because the character is bisexual. So every once in a while, you might see him doing something that's bisexual in nature. I don't care. I don't care. That's all. So there, there's my point on it. And I'm never going to address, I'm never going to answer another question about it again, because I don't care is the answer. All right, next up. Uh, where are we at here? Uh, Sam Fisher writes, one of three. I actually rewatched and marathoned all of the Craig Bond movies on Amazon 36 hours before seeing the new one. Nice. Uh, but I kept finding myself stopping and reading all the little infographics that Amazon puts in. By the way, they do a great job of that. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, two or three. Like, did you know that King Cade, the old gamekeeper in Skyfall, played by Albert Finney, was initially going to be played by Sean Connery? I did not know that because Skyfall was the 50th anniversary movie. The infographics are also where I learned that they originally were going to replace James, uh, Dame Judi Dench. I did know about this in Casino Royale. I didn't know about the Sean Connery thing. Um, yeah, listen, side note here, but Sam brings up something really interesting. They do a great um, a great job uh, Amazon does. When, when I'm watching movies on Amazon, those little... I can't remember what they call them. If Do any of you guys remember what they actually call the information that they'll bring up? What is it called? X-ray or insight? Um, I, I can't remember what, uh, what, the, what the, they call it on Amazon. If any of you guys, it is called X-ray. Okay, uh, Lord Genome and uh, JG and Joey, Kaza, they're all saying it's, it's called X-ray. They do a really good job of that. Like, it's so good that I often find it distracting. Because I often find myself actually, instead of watching the movie, I want to look down and see all the little bits of information they put in there. So uh, we don't talk about it much, but a nice little shout out uh, to them on that. It's really, really good. All right, next up. Uh, Sam Fisher also writes, as much as everybody wants Tom Hardy, Idris Elba, or Henry Cavill, my pick, to play the next James Bond, uh, will be any of them, the next James, to play the next James Bond, will be any of them because Bond actor never seem to be, guys, please proofread before you write in, um, because Bond actor never seem to be a household name when they get picked. That's not true. Uh, you knew who Craig and Brosnan were, but they weren't household names. Pierce Brosnan was a household name. I, I can tell you as somebody who was a movie fan and watching movies when the whole question about who the next James Bond is, there was a very big campaign for Pierce Brosnan, who was Remington Steele. There was a huge campaign for 
getting Pierce Brosnan, Remington Steele as the next James Bond. Pierce Brosnan, he wasn't the biggest star in the world, but neither is Idris Elba and neither is Henry Cavill, um, who I, I love Henry Cavill. You guys know I do. But uh, yeah, that, that's saying that it's never a big name actor. Pierce Brosnan was a big name and Pierce Brosnan was the, the fan pick of that decade that people wanted to see the new James Bond. So absolutely they do. And absolutely he was. All right. I uh, got time for just a couple more quick ones here, guys. Jody Harkavay writes, Mel Brooks had Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles in the same year. Same year, but how close were they? We were talking about this the other day that, you know, uh, uh, Ridley Scott has two big movies coming out so close to each other in um, The Last Duel and House of Gucci. And... I was really looking forward to The Last Duel. I didn't love The Last Duel, but it's good. I, I still give in a thumbs up or a thumbs down world. I still give The Last Duel a thumbs up. I just wish it was paced better with their story structure. But other than that, and I'm very excited about House of Gucci. And I was asking yesterday, you know, who else had stuff? So Mel Brooks and Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks had Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles in the same year. I did not know that. I did not know that. Thanks for sharing that, Jody. All right. Uh, next up, Sam Fisher also writes, I just bought my tickets for Eternals and IMAX with laser at my local AMC. As I said, my AMC doesn't have Dolby. Hey, listen, IMAX is a great viewing experience, Sam, so I don't think you're going to regret your choice. I think you're going to have a real good time there. All right. Dave Atkins writes, my big bro, Geo, uh, being a massive fan of you 2 they are my all-time favorite band, always wanted to know your thoughts on the movie Killing Bono. You know what? Honestly, never watched it. Never did. Uh, furthermore, what is the defining thing about the band in general that makes you love them so much? A particular song or just their general vibe? Thanks. The thing, when I was a, a young musician and playing in bands and stuff like that, and I remember when uh, Joshua Tree came out. Joshua Tree came out. I was like 13 or 14 years old. I can't remember exactly. And... I was already, you know, I was already playing a lot of different instruments and I was starting to play in, in bands. And I really, truly discovered you two when Joshua Tree came out. Like I hadn't, I had heard some of the songs from October and Boy and things like that, but I wasn't really as tuned in. But I was so blown away because, listen, um, most of the music I listened to fell into one of three categories. I'm awesome, you're hot, and things are great in the club or at the party tonight. Like pretty much 95% of all popular music, songs fall into one of three categories. You're hot, I'm awesome, or things are great at the party slash the club tonight. Almost all pop popular music falls into one of those three categories. Almost all of it. And I remember when Joshua Tree came out and I listened to the songs the songs were deep and they didn't just have, they had, they had messages of philosophy, faith, um, social issues. And like every about, about inspecting your own soul. Like when you listen to songs, like where the streets have no name or you listen like any of these types of things. And I was realizing that, you too was not only making from a musicianship point of view, the musicianship was amazing. They had such a unique sound, like the edges ringing guitar style is such a unique fingerprint. 
Like I, I would contend other than maybe Jimi Hendrix, there's no other guitarist that has such a unique sound. Like when you hear the edge, you know, it's the edge. When you hear that ringing guitar style, you just know it's the edge, right? And it, and that's what really made me fall in love with them as a band. They were so unique and different. They truly approached music as an art. In a world where everything was, you know, you're hot or I'm in love with you or you're my upset, whatever, the you're hot, I'm awesome, or things are great in the club slash party tonight. In a world where 95% of music is that, they really stood out to me as being very, very different. And and sure, there are still some U2 songs that fall under one of those three categories, like Elevation is very much a you're hot uh, kind of song, right? But, um, but for the most part, a lot of their music was just, uh, it, it, their music and their lyrics made me think their lyrics and their music made me feel um i just uh, i like them a lot but anyway there there's that thanks for the question dave i don't get asked a lot about my love of you too very often uh, okay last question of the day guys and then we're gonna have to wrap things up uh we've got uh dylan uh whoo let me see if i can pronounce this dylan muschitiello muschitiello uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. It's probably an Italian name too. Anyway, hey John, have you seen the trailer for the new Wheel of Time show? I've, I've been asked this like five times for the new Wheel of Time show on Amazon Prime. I love the trailer myself and I'm a fan of the source material, but I'm seeing no buzz around it. I'm wondering why you think that is and would love to know your thoughts. Yeah, I have talked about this before, but I will mention it again here. I am not very, like I'm aware of the Wheel of Time. But I'm, I didn't read the books in depth or anything like that, right? So I'm, I'm not what you would call a, a timer. I'm not a wheel of timer. When that, first, when that trailer dropped, it did nothing for me. And here's the thing. Do you remember the first trailer for uh, Dune that came out like six months ago, eight months? I can't remember how long ago it was. But the first trailer for Dune dropped a long time ago. And it didn't make a big splash. And Rob and I talked on the show and our theory about why it didn't make a big splash with people is because that first trailer for for Dune, did I say Eternals? I meant Dune. That first trailer for Dune, and you guys may agree or disagree, but it felt like it was really just targeting hardcore Dune fans, like people who know Dune. And anybody that wasn't already a hardcore Dune fan and didn't already know the world of Dune, that trailer probably wasn't going to appeal to them all that much. The second Dune trailer that came out months later, very different. That one was appealing to to all fans. You didn't have to know Dune to appreciate it. When I watched that Wheel of Time spot, and again, you may agree or disagree with me, I got that same feeling. I got the feeling that, this is probably this feels like a trailer that is specifically designed for those who are already hardcore Wheel of Time fans who will understand and get a big ooh and ah out of different characters that are being introduced and things we're seeing. And for the rest of the movie going public, it's probably not hitting us as well. So my guess here, Dylan, is that the reason you're not hearing a lot of buzz about it is because I don't think it was designed for people who aren't already hardcore Wheel of Time fans. And I think in future promotions and ads, they probably will make trailers that are more widely appealing. But I feel like this one was specifically for you as a Wheel of Time fan and not for everybody else, much like Dune did. 
And and again, I could be way wrong about that. I could be totally, totally, totally wrong. But that's kind of my uh, my best guess at that. All right, guys, listen. There's still more to come from Dangerous D, uh, Ben Rayner, uh, Alfred Gives Birth to Robin, and others. Do not worry, guys. We will be doing a companion video a little bit later today, and we will get all caught up on all the remaining questions. There's not a ton left, so we'll get all caught up on the remaining questions. But for now, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, a little bit of housekeeping for you guys. Don't forget, we made this announcement yesterday. It's up on the community section on the YouTube channel, but just so you know, starting Monday... This coming Monday, October 18th, the John Campius Show, which for the last month and a bit has been starting at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Starting on Monday, the John Campius Show will go back to its old starting time of 10 a.m., so one hour earlier than what we've been doing recently, okay? I did a, a poll with you guys. I, did, I asked you guys, and almost two to one of you, uh, two out of every one, that's that's not right. At a ratio of almost two to one, you guys said you preferred the 10 a.m. starting time as opposed to the 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time starting time. So beginning on Monday, the John Campus show starts at 10 a.m. Los Angeles time instead of 11 a.m. starting uh, Los Angeles time. Now you guys know. Mark it down. Okay, guys, thank you to all of you guys who sent in the, uh, the first of all, the Super Chat badges and the live chat. For those of you who sent in the, uh, the uh, tip questions, stuff like that, thank you so much. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did. And all of us here, thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, guys, don't forget to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. Have an awesome weekend. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.